Rita, are you ready for a rapid fire questions? 100%. Question number one, who has inspired you the most in your life? Oh my God, that's a really hard question because there's been so many people. Um, but I have been inspired by artists a lot and the way they have patience and they're able to interpret the world. One book that you would recommend everyone to read? I'm going to be biased and um, one book that I would recommend everyone to read. Oh my God, I am not ready for this. Um, <laughs> um, I actually loved Bill Gates' book, um, the very first one that he wrote. It was magnificent and completely changed my life because it allowed, allowed me to make it okay to be a technologist. And so, yeah, so that was just an amazing Okay, what's the next one? Next one, which is your favorite tourist destination? Well, you know, my parents are from Italy, so I love going to Sicily, and particularly a town called Taormina. Um, and my husband and I love it, and we've been there a few times. We even go to the film festival there, and you see it in a Greek theater. So it's a pretty amazing place. Excellent. Last one, but not the least. What do you feel about Inspiring Ideas podcast? I love it. I think it's been the most um, well thought out, well produced, exciting, natural. Um, it's, it really is inspiring. So it's perfectly named. So thank you very much. I think it's a, an amazing podcast. I'm very proud of you guys. Thank, thank you. you so much, Rita. Hi, I'm Abhinav. I'm Madhu. Welcome to the Inspiring Idea Podcast. We interview people from across the world and share their life stories and success formulas with our audience. We hope this will inspire you to achieve your dreams. So, let's get the show started. Ladies and gentlemen, we've got a fantastic guest today, Rita Arigo. Please welcome to our show. How are you today? I'm very good. I'm excited to be here in lockdown in Melbourne, but there's always amazing people coming to my office in my room. So thank you for the invitation. Excellent, Rita. Rita, I want to rewind you back to 1995 April, where you opened the Australia's first net cafe in St Kilda, having got inspired from internet cafe phenomenon that was going on in Seattle, if I'm not wrong. Then you went on to do a radio show on tech, which I think Abhi and I have been discussing quite a lot. Is it similar to the inspiring ideas of today that she started 20 years ago or 25 years ago? So is that the start of your passion towards internet and all things digital? Share us your story. You know, that time was such an exciting era, the 90s, because, you know, PCs went from just being computers with hard drives to being connected and you could look up anything you wanted. And there was all these crazy words like cyber surfing. And, and I remember one of the words we coined in the internet cafe was ego surfing, where people would come in and type their name and, um, and everyone was doing it. You know, there was rock stars, there was all kinds of people. And, um, but I think at the same time, there was also a lot of techno fear, like people scared of technology and bite into it. And the internet cafe was my way of making technology more friendly and fun and less scary. And I love this age of discovery because it did bring so many different people like teachers, artists, writers, scientists. And I think multidisciplinary collaboration is now more important than ever. And we really learned that in that era. 
Beautiful. And what about your radio show? Is it uh, to do with your passion for technology and you want to educate the community about technology and what it can do? So Bite Into It was about um, really exposing to normal, like to normal people. It was drive time on Triple R, where, you know, there was like some fantastic, um, you know, audiences that we have. But it was about, you know, bringing in, okay, what is the internet? What's a browser? What can you get on it? Like, um, what is gaming? Like, what happens, you know, and, and just really bringing it into the kind of um, normality of being able to talk about it and not make it like something geeky that the people do in a corner yeah. so you know um <clears throat> launching new games um there was new startups i remember we had um the people who launched seek like you know one of the most exciting businesses you know oh. they they came on to talk about seek we had telstra launch big pond you know back then there was internet was called the big pond um <laughs> so you know like lots of and we used to get faxes and all kinds of different things that would happen yeah. there I think it was about really exposing what was going on yeah. in a way that was friendly and non-technical. And it's fascinating because you're continuing to do the same thing, but not for the internet now, but for the AI, which is quite phenomenal. You know, I agree. Like, I think that, um, you know, in the last decade, you know, everyone talks about AI and its association with power. Um, but this evolution of AI is so real, like, you know, moving from object recognition, speech recognition, machine reading, where machines can read. Like, you know, um, I was actually talking to a friend of mine who's a lecturer who was like, I'm sick of reading papers. I'm going to watch get the AI to read it. Um, <laughs> and then, like, machine teaching, you know, where you're actually like teaching AI. And it's, it's very radical what's happening with AI. And, and I'm sure we'll get into it a lot Absolutely. more. Absolutely. Okay. This is really exciting. Uh, Rita, our next question is from one of your friends. I'll give you three options to guess who the person is. First is he is your friend. Yeah. Number two, he is an AI professor at RMIT University. And he was a guest in our show as well. Oh, really? Is it my buddy, Fabulous Fabio? <laughs> oh, you guessed it correctly. All right. So it was interesting. Like I was talking to Fabian, he was so excited that you're coming to our show and he wanted to ask you a question. So I'll play the audio file right now for you. Hey, Richard, it's Fabio. You know which Fabio, right? The real Fabio. Anyway, <laughs> I'll ask you to uh, tell us a little bit about one thing that you really have to heart, your incredible and phenomenal advocacy for women in tech. How did it start? You know, going back to your uni days must have been interesting, right? You were probably one of the very few women coming from a women-only high school. That might be really interesting to explore. Anyway, stay safe. I'll talk to you soon. That was just beautiful. Yeah, so Fabio has been a really major encouragement um, around what I do because I think um, as a woman in tech and also a woman that doesn't code, um, I often have people who are more technical than me assume that I'm not as technical as them. Mm. Um, and I think, you know, it's okay sometimes for, for men to not code and be seen as technical, but I think for women, it's kind of a bit different. And, and Fabio really helped me to build that confidence that, you know, it's okay that I don't code, but I can still have an opinion. <laughs> and, and, and I think that, um, 
you know, having gone to an old girls school where I really learned, you know, I had a, I was a maths graduate, so I loved maths and going to do computing and engineering was really exciting for me because it wasn't just about um, learning to code. It was about trying to figure out the application of technology to, you know, to solve business problems. That's what engineering was about. Um, and, uh, and I think I was really excited by that. And, and I think my journey um, into the technology arena has been an interesting journey you know I, I have a personality I can talk so you know I moved from support into sales really quickly um, and and so but sales also required a lot of confidence because you were talking to, to a lot of people about you know things and so I moved I really spent a lot of time in channel marketing mm-hmm. where I would like teach other people about, you know, how to then communicate about the technology. And that was a really exciting thing to do because it meant that I could really empower um, a lot of people. And, you know, in um, our current industry in technology, there are a lot of women that um, take on these kind of more interpersonal roles that involve sales or they involve technical support they involve business analysis etc and that's been really interesting to nurture that side of Mm -hmm. of women in this tech because I think we do need those soft soft skills as well as those genius skills of being able to invent things and code things and you know spend hours um, in in a back room coding it but then it's also about being able to bring those soft skills in as well so um you know, I, I really enjoy um, helping build confidence in women around that as well in the same way that people have helped me build that confidence around being able to make those soft skills just as important as the other skills. That's fantastic. That brings to my next question, I believe, which is very important. Now, there are not many women in technology. What can we do to bridge this gap, especially around um, education and career options for them? Yeah, so... I really do think it's got to, you know, women want to be more, I know it's really strange to kind of put us into a category like that, but it's that purpose driven stuff that we really want, you know, like, and like you were talking about, you know, being able to change someone's life as dyslexia or being able to bring accessibility and using technology to bring accessibility and bringing that purpose in, I think it's going to make a really big difference. And, and, I, and I really find that that's, that's actually what I've been learning a lot from my design thinking work often, because it's not just about, and I think in an in a all-male world, it's like, well, if we can do it, let's do it. But in a, a mixed world where we have everyone, um, you know, everyone working together, no matter what gender or what race or what age, it's often about thinking about the value that it brings, and it's having that lens that I think will make a very big difference to bring more women into technology, um, bringing that lens of value and an impact that that um, that technology can bring. And I think that is something that's really exciting that's evolving. Um, I recently got called an AI feminist um, because, um, you know, I think it's really important that... Um, when we're thinking about AI, it's not just about the the workings of a male brain. It's also about bringing in the the female side of things as well. And and I think that will make a really big impact to wanting getting more ladies into tech. Um, and I also think it's that multidisciplinary thing. For example, I have a daughter who's an environmental scientist, 
and she really wants to embrace technology to save climate, save the climate and, and you know, really reduce some of the things that we're doing to the climate. And that is, I think, is going to um, bring that multidisciplinary thing to life where it's not just about I'm going to be an engineer and, you know, uh, but I'm actually going to solve something quite complex that, that requires those soft skills and all the other things that women bring to the party. Do you think there is a need for organizations also to, you know, have a different mindset about this? You know what? I think there really is. And, um, you know, I work for Microsoft and they are amazing at being able to, you know, teach us about conscious bias, which is actually really real, the unconscious bias, like the idea of allyship, you know, the idea of covering and really being yourself at work. And we've been going through a lot of, you know, discussions, like very detailed discussions where we'll role play things. And it was really amazing, like men that I've known for years, they just looked at me and went, are you sure that multitasking is good for business? I'm like, what do you mean? Right. <laughs> Everyone says that multitasking's bad. And like, but like, do you know what I mean? Like there was just so much unconscious bias and so buried deeply within within our world that sometimes we don't even realize we're being sexist, right? And and I think it's it's really being able to support people to see that. And the concept of allyship is kind of new where, you know, it's not just you on your own. It's like you and like, you know, Fabio, I'm glad you found him. He's like an amazing ally. Um, and, you know, I have a lot of these people in my work at Microsoft and you'll find that when I have an ally on my team, they get better results. So often, you know, people just want to mimic that again and again and try and... So I think it's really highlighting that. Um, it's really working around it. I think there's so many benefits if we have a more diverse work culture and technology that I really think is something that um, very everyone's aspiring to try and solve. Um, and I don't think we're in a situation where we were back in the 80s where no one recognised it. It's, it has been recognised and, you know, we're on a journey to kind of find those new productivities and find those, um, you know, those amazing serendipity that comes when everyone feels valued in a conversation type thing. That's a good point. In fact, my... It's just a comment for me. It's not a question. I think from whatever I've uh, you've said right now, what I observed was um, bringing the diversity and inclusion in the team. We are building technology and technological solution for helping the society. So we just have to be mindful in terms of understanding the picture holistically, not just um, you know coming from a specific part of the world. We got to have people thinking about, say, anthropologists working, thinking about the user design. And then thinking about a technologist, every single person should have their mindset of the goal that they're going to work through and then finally deliver a product, which will be unbiased, which will be fantastic, which adds a lot of value. It's very, very commendable. Thank you. Yeah, it's, 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 it's something that I think people are realizing that it's this multidisciplinary collaboration. Like, you know, I do a lot of work with um, the environment and being able to bring scientists in and share with them AI and different techniques. That's just so empowering because it means that they're going to be able to use computer vision. It's not just going to be the AI engineer that's stuck in somewhere, but it's, it's actually they're going to be starting using those tools. And it's that democratizing of AI that I think is going to make a really big difference. Yeah, it was actually very pleasing to see one of the big companies that you were helping out. And I found it so fabulous because that was solving the problem. 
stuff is fascinating. That was when a group of architects at RMIT decided that they wanted to debunk this concept that architects build things that are that design things that are too difficult to build, right? Just because it's beautiful doesn't mean they shouldn't design it. And so they wanted to use mixed reality to kind of create these digital guides to to be able to construct them a lot more easily. And, and I think that's a really exciting part of some of the technology that we have that's coming our way. Where you know we've been looking at keyboards and screens for so long that, yeah. you know, we're really ready for something new. We're ready for AI. We're ready for mixed reality. We're ready to have natural interactions, you know, like Fabio and I, when we first put on the HoloLens 2, we couldn't believe that it would articulate all your fingers and you could play a piano um, virtually. And, you know, just these ability to start to bring in these more natural user interfaces. And we don't know what the technology is ultimately going to look like, but we mm. know Interaction's going to have to change and the keyboard and mouse and the screens and the kind of more ambient technology is, is a reality of what's, what's occurring with, for us today. The gradual progression as well, you know, we have seen the MS-DOS at some point in time and then graphical user interface and all that and, and now chatbots. So now coming back to the ABCD of technology, Rita, you know, any guesses what I'm talking about, ABCD? I think you're talking about AI, blockchain, cloud, and data. I like it. Oh, that's fantastic. <laughs> awesome. Awesome, right? So in the last decade, almost everyone talks about AI, and we all know that, and because of the processing power and whatnot. And if you look at AI as a whole, and the example that you just quoted, brings us to a point to believe that it's a constellation of technologies. It's not just working in isolation. Mm. It's massive. It has to work well with uh, devices, you know, IoT, data, cloud, blockchain, for enhancing and giving great, richer experiences for humans, right? How do you think that if the technologies have evolved over the last two decades, would love to hear your story, and especially you would love to add some of the concepts of AR, VR, and MR into the mix? Sure. I do think that, you know, in the past, it was all about becoming a software company, and now it's all about becoming an AI company. And it's this new technology revolution that is also moving from the ones and zeros because once we get these huge amounts of data coming from our buildings, people, mm -hmm. plants, energy, um, cars, you know, it's the computing we have today is not the computing we're going to have in the future. And quantum computing is so real. Um, and, you know, already we're seeing the kind of computation that's required. And I love the way quantum can be described as, you know, normal computers are like cars, whereas quantum computing is like a plane, you know, so it's like, it's just a completely different paradigm of what's going to happen. Um, and, you know, I really love that you brought in the, a, B, C, D. But I believe that it's going to be about our ability to encode the G, C's, A's and T's, which is the building blocks of DNA, that will really start to transform some of our difficult problems around healthcare, agriculture and energy. Um, and so it's this kind of evolution to, you know, quantum and you know, really starting to connect with nature that I think is one of those um, really exciting elements that we have coming as part of the next phase. And as we become more VR and AR 
kind of um, lucid, um, these kind of ways that we're going to be able to explore new use cases. Um, so it was really interesting. I had to give a talk around education recently and, and Fabio was there and um, I was talking about, you know, during COVID, um, a whole lot of students couldn't do exams, they couldn't do um, labs, they couldn't teach anatomy. And, you know, a lot of, you know, a couple of universities in the US actually shipped all the students a HoloLens so they could put it on and um, they could see their lecturer come into their room and they could bring the anatomy in and they could continue to learn. And, um, and I think there's no better time than at the moment that we're in lockdown to start to play with that AR and VR. You look pretty silly when you're wearing it, but it's like one of those things that we can do and to bring the technology into our homes. And, and yeah, so was there any as so in terms of those, um, the the kind of things that are possible is is kind of a bit, it's a bit mind blowing in terms of, you know, being able to uh, visualize things, bring in very complex equipment, um, you know, look at geospatial, look at spatial computing in a way that um, we haven't been able to in the past, like, you know, things like spatial anchors where you can actually um, have these little spots in the world that you can see um, that don't actually exist, but they're augmenting the information that we have about the world. So yeah, there's a really big, big area of, of development in that space. But, you know, we're already seeing it. Like the fact that we have RMIT, you know, out there, huge startup with Fologram, um, selling their products around the world to help artists, architects, engineers to create complex objects. But, you know, there's a whole lot of other stuff occurring in the safety space. You know, people like BHP using it, people using um, mixed reality to do simulation, like rather than having to build, you know, the old cockpit we used to yeah. learn why you now do that in mixed reality so a lot of these kind of things but we had to build things and now um, um the other thing is this whole cgi actors and being able to bring in um mixed reality spaces in, into film sets etc and, and really start to bring a lot of those thinking into the way that we produce our um movies and performances etc these are really great examples uh, Rita, I would also like to ask you questions about your life journey. Okay, can you give a bit of a brief introduction about your, you know, how you progressed through your career, and if you got any exciting stories for our audience? All right, you know, it was very exciting to work for telecommunications companies. So I went from Telstra to working for Optus, um, and during that time, it was one of the wildest times. Um, mm. It was the biggest sale in the world. Cable and wireless sold Optus to Singtel. And so that was really exciting because, you know, I think in Australia we've always been, you know, thought that we were really close to England. Um, but really we're in Asia, right? And so being connected back to Singapore and Hong Kong and Vietnam and these places, you know, to me was really exciting because it meant that we were really thinking about our geography. Um, and being able to go to Singapore as part of the Singtel um, purchase of Optus, 
um, I was a very, you know, digitally savvy person. So I um, learned a lot about e-government and learned about a lot, a lot about what uh, the Singaporeans were doing um, to enable their new modern world. And that really opened a lot of doors for me in Australia because it meant that all of a sudden I was a bit of an, you know, I knew about what was going on in e-government. That, that was super exciting because it meant that, you know, I could enter the public understanding the public sector from something that I hadn't really done a lot of work in other than through digital communications through my digital work. Um, and, you know, the public sector has so much that they can do around, you know, becoming more digital and, you know, really creating, you know, a change in society. I mean, there's so many areas within the public sector, like, you know, democracy, digital identity, um, health, etc. And so, the way I moved from Singtel, then I got into um, working for digital agencies and then I moved into consulting, which meant that um, I was able to join Microsoft because um, Microsoft was also trying to um, establish, well, trying, they, it's very important that you can buy consulting from Microsoft as well. So, um, and, you know, enterprise architects were kind of moving to becoming more digital advisors and I'm actually known as a digital architect at Microsoft. So it was really exciting to become a digital architect um, and, and um, you know, take a lot of those skills from being, you know, being thrown into the deep end of working with digital agencies where I had to learn about, you know, what is a CMS and what's the front end and how does JavaScript work? You know, how do the designers and the developers actually talk? Because, um, you know, they used to be in separate spaces and mm -hmm. now we're seeing these more kind of teams of two designers, two developers sitting around together. And that was completely alien 10 years ago. You know, they were in separate rooms and if they got together, they were going to fight. Um, and so, so like, <laughs> like bringing a lot of that kind of um, multidisciplinary um, um, world back into the world of software. And now we're seeing this and being able to see that evolution and take that into my career today and understanding that, hey, if we want to use AI, we can't just be AI architects building stuff in the back. We actually have to bring the amazing scientists that we have, the amazing engineers, the architects, the artists. Like there's an artist coming to the NGV Triennale this year who actually uses quantum computing to use biomimicry to show, you know, how all that stuff that I was talking about, the GCs, A's and T's and how important that is going to be to bring a lot of that kind of thinking to the world. Um, and so it's quite amazing that artists are able to tap into this um, and, and be able to share the kind of technology with us. So it's been that. So that's been part of my journey. It's been, you know, being thrown into the deep end in the digital age, um, working in digital agencies where I was like in my thirties, but still the oldest person there. <laughs> <laughs> Because everyone was so young. It was really funny. I remember when um, I was on Bite Into It and the, the web emerged and um, I had my own homepage and I got listed in this, like, top 10 girls on the web because there was only, you know, 10 girls. <laughs> and uh, I remember I had to write my own HTML. Like, back then, that was, you know, the only way to make a web page. But yeah. now so many other technologies. And you know what I also find really interesting as part of uh, my career is the rise of the social influencer. Um, and I don't really know 
um, you know, that's going to be something that maybe is going to really affect, um, you know, and, and I think what you guys are doing around being able to share content and, you know, be able to have these discussions is very, is part of that. It's that social influencer where, you know, you're not just the most senior executive in your organisation that can have a voice, like anybody can have a voice. And I, and I think that's really important because going back to the purpose and being purpose-driven, if you don't have an opinion around what you're doing, it makes it really hard to be purpose-driven. So, um, so yeah, so I think these pivots in my career have really, they've been pivoting around technology, um, but, um, but yeah, these, these pivots with the social coming in and now the scientists and yeah I think that's been that's been a really interesting part of and and I think as well it's doing stuff that you're not in your comfort zone can mm -hmm. just really make things pop so and, and I think that's where you know the biggest radical thing I did was go and work for digital agencies but it really made such a big difference to to some of the um, thinking and understanding that I had great to have for the listeners and it's, it's a great story yeah this is a really fascinating insights uh you've got so much experience i want to deep dive into now ai you know ask you a specific questions around different industries i'm going to start with retail all post data suggests that close to 8.1 million household have shopped online during covid 19 wow. which is an increase of 16 percent year on year with Victoria, the highest share of online purchases, 38% overall. And August 2020 was a record breaker. Can you share your insights on the new face of retail with AI? Yeah, I, I do think it's taken retailers quite a while to get their head around it. I think they thought that, you know, the bricks and mortar was going to be forever. Mm -hmm. And um, But it's really amazing, you know, some of the most... Um, conservative retailers are starting to understand that, you know, you have to understand your buyer behaviours. You have to know what their purchase history is and, you know, you want to be able to give them back you know, a bit of personal shopping experience. We know you bought this last week. This is on sale, these kind of things. And, and I, I just love what's happening with the whole, you know, click and collect. Like there's even like... I went to a $2 shop the other day and they're like doing click and collect in a really old fashioned way where you ring them up and say, do you have this? Can I come and get it? Mm -hmm. Right. <laughs> and, you know, it's really interesting to see that all these small businesses will want to not necessarily create catalogs of their products, but they might leapfrog and start to use, you know, AI and bots instead where you can actually speak to digital assistants or um, like I did this amazing project with a paint company recently where I was imagining, um, and you know, the chemists imagine it too. Imagine if you could actually talk to a bot rather than look something up on a website about what you were trying to do with that specific paint. And I can really see those kind of digital assistants emerging and, you know, and I think this, this era, unfortunately, it had to be COVID, but it's really um, created this kind of tech enlightenment within the, um, the retail space where people realise that they do need to 
best in their digital experiences. Um, so I'm, where, what was I looking at the other day? Like I'm seeing, you know, the virtual shopping mall, like more of this more personalised content for you, um, more of these immersive experiences. Like I was looking at the um, a holographic personal stylist where you can scan, get a scan of yourself. And so, you know, your body's all scanned and then it can bring in the clothes that you like. You can try them on, right? And, you know, it also uses, like I sat in on this amazing research talk where they used AI to analyse all the fashion trends, right? And so they could know that, you know, polka dots and flowers are big this year or, you know, um, cool T-shirts are big this year. And then they could use a mirror to look at what you were wearing and make recommendations to you about how to make your outfit more trendy, right? And so I thought that's just an amazing way of using AI, but also those capsules by actually knowing what you have in your, having in your house or knowing what you have in your wardrobe. So uh, I see a lot of these new new thinking around you know, making the experience more personal and, and, you know, the circular economy is actually really important as well. So I think those days of fast fashion um, and these products that, you know, are highly disposable, a lot of, lot of change around that, around it being a lot more useful and, um, you know, really researching your product purchases and, and knowing what you're buying and not being such a crazy consumerist society. So I, so I think that's part of the evolution around, you know, online shopping as well. It's, it's around that, again, purposeful and, and environmentally friendly style of being able to. I'll tell you a really funny story. We get a lot of deliveries here. I live with an 18 and a 19-year-old. <laughs> and the other day we got a delivery from Lush, who's this cosmetic brand. And my daughter was so happy. She goes, Mum, there was no plastic in this container. No plastic. All the products were packed with not one piece of plastic. And um, to her, that was really important, right? Because, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. you know, she doesn't believe in plastic and thinks it's, it's polluting the world. So, so I, I think that these innovations um, around online retail and, you know, really tapping into, you know, making it more personal is really, really important. With the online retail, I think it's solved one of my problems. So every time my wife will give me a list of things to go and buy, I used to go there and she, I'll come back and she's like, you missed X, Y, Z, you know? And now the, the good thing about online shopping is I can go and order it online and I, and I feel more good about myself. <laughs> it's like you've done your shopping, right? <laughs> yeah, and it was really hard to do before. Like, you know, even the designer sites, they used to say, oh, we're not going to invest in digital because it's all about coming to our stores, right? And now that you can't go to the stores, they're investing in digital, which, which I think is, is wonderful because it means that, you know, it's really making it a lot more inclusive. Anybody can go. It's not just about who can get to that shop um, and those kind of things. So bringing that inclusion is really important as well. And it's great that you talked about the small businesses, even the $2 shop. But uh, the, if you talk about the serious aspect of it, there are a lot of shops around the corner. They, when I go and ask them, I'm closing my shop. What do you mean? I'm not digitally savvy. And I don't know what you're talking about when you say AI. So is there any way that one, we can educate such small businesses so that they, they don't go out of the business? And two, how can we help them to be... Uh, more digitally savvy and help them grow in the business and basically start sustaining and then start to grow. 
it's going to be a hard work. Yeah, think? but I do think, I love that about what you were saying before, Abby and Madhu, um, that whole startup mentality. So I think, um, you know, in Victoria, we've got this company called Yum that started to go out to all the little um, shops um, that do amazing, authentic food um, that might not want to sign up with Uber Eats and, you know, set them up with some very simple technology. Um, and that's that's been amazing to see startups, you know, really catering to that um, and being able to support them. So, you know, we've got this amazing Mexican restaurant that's using Yum and they're, you know, you can go in and like everything's all set up for them and it's so much easier. So, so I do think the world of startups is really going to drive a lot of that because, um, they can really target their solutions to specific industries and, and really make it something that's very user-friendly for them to use as well. Sure, sure. Moving to healthcare, you know, telehealth, I, that's a massive hit. Right? Massive hit. <laughs> it's, it's got a huge uptake in COVID times. So what are the trends are we seeing in healthcare, Rita? So I think it's, it's, it is about telehealth and, you know, health was one of those really difficult industries to shift. You know, the, a lot of it just like courts as well. They really believed that the face-to-face -face was so important that you had to see the person. But the um, what's with COVID and being able to have more telehealth, it's like, and phone consulting, um, it's been amazing the difference that's made. But um, there's also been a lot of other work in AI, for example, um, we launched a COVID symptom checker and it's now being used by 1,700 hospitals around the world because you can imagine the phones were like going crazy and this really helped people to, you know, have a trusted way of being able to understand their symptoms. And, you know, I can really see these healthcare bots being quite real as we realise that a lot of the data that comes from them is going to be very personalised and real. Um, the other thing is IoT and computer vision, like being able to use like IoT and, and the computer vision side of things to be able to see things that the human eye can't see in x-rays and monitoring, um, AI for preventative techniques. And like one of the stuff that I love at the moment is um, there's this project called Project Hanover, where mm -hmm. it actually uses machine reading to read all the millions of papers that are being written by scientists and doctors around the world, but then actually match the the results that they've learned to your specific DNA so that you can actually get these specific treatments that would be specifically useful for your condition. Um, so you were really tapping into some of these kind of machine reading. And the other thing that I'm finding is really interesting. So if you know the last time you went to a doctor, he looked at the computer more than he looked, or he or she looked at the computer more than she looked at you anyway, right? And so, because... <laughs> So much stuff they have to type in there and look up yeah. and like really making that um, digital assistant easier for them where, you know, you get much better strength transcript recordings and it will actually um, comprehend and read the data rather than just store it. Um, I, I see that as a really big tool for, for doctors and, and healthcare practitioners to so really liberate them from some of those horrible screens that they have to look at um, for all that patient data and like really improve that interface. Like most professions are not looking at that stuff anymore. Mm. Like we have beautiful UIs, like even in banking, like in education, but like the poor doctors are still looking at these really old-fashioned screen. 
Um, so I really see some some use of AI to really improve that. Shifting our uh, focus next to a very hot topic, which is education. Let's uh, talk about education. <laughs> Uh, V-Forum data suggests that close to 1.4 billion students were impacted by schools closure this year. Now, this has resulted in rise of, you know, education tech startup companies, you know, who are cashing on this particular opportunity. Now, love for digital is similar to love for water for ducks. However, impact of digital learning to students is still unknown. I'm like, are we, is there any studies going around of understanding, you know, is it resulting in any uh, problems for the kids uh, in terms of how they're going to, you know, learn social uh, interaction with mm. different students? Because that you could do it when you go to school or when we used to go to school. Uh, do you know what studies are being done to... So I know I was... Um... I'm a big fan of um, Monash and uh, obviously RMIT, but I know Monash did a study this year. Mm -hmm. It said that the students were actually getting better marks. Oh, really? Okay. Usually. Um, and that was pretty amazing. Like, you know, my daughters argue, they go, oh, no, no, they're marking much easier, Rita. I go, I don't know. You know, this is a proper study. And then I think the other thing that they're finding is that this whole idea of flipped education. So... Mm -hmm. In the old days, you'd go to university, you'd, you know, you'd watch the lecture and then you'd go home, right? Now you watch the lecture at home mm -hmm. and maybe you go to university to interact with people, right? And to, so I've got this amazing lecturer from University of New South Wales, um, Dr. Kellerman, who teaches beam design engineering. Like I did that subject. It's actually quite dry and difficult to understand, but he has made it so exciting, right? And so the way he teaches, he uses, um, he uses like a studio to teach um, and he uses um, this great big computer and he can see all his students and he uses lots of interactive methods and um, his students can get instant answers to their questions because he's built all these bots as well that actually mines all the answers from other students and provides the answers back. And what he's saying is that, you know, in the old days, we had spent hundreds of thousands of dollars building a lecture theatre. What you should do is build a great studio for your lecturers so they can perform and deliver these amazing lectures. Mm -hmm. But then create these maker spaces where people can come in and, you know, maybe hack or, you know, build something or be part of a project team so that they learn these multidisciplinary skills so they can bring in the designer, the developer, the AI person, uh, the tester, you know, whatever it is those people are and bring them together and start to know what it's like to work together because that's one of the most important things that we're seeing in, in our working lives. It's being able to work together that's really, really important. So we're seeing that kind of flip and we're already seeing people saying that that's going to be the future of education is mm -hmm. a model where um, you're going to watch your lectures at home and but you're going to go in to interact and we're kind of seeing that interaction a bit with these kind of um, breakout rooms where mm -hmm. in Zoom you can create these breakout rooms or in Teams. Yeah. And then be able to, to to bring that in. So, so I think it's actually going to be quite an exciting, um, you know, uh, way of thinking about it, where it doesn't become about your huge real estate; it becomes more about the actual educational outcomes that you can deliver. Yeah, yeah. We have done a full episode with uh, Fabio on the future of education. So, I'd, I'd, I'd encourage listeners to uh, listen to that as well. 
Yeah, yeah. He's got some great ideas because he's also about personalising education and making it more adaptive to what you need. And I think digital is one of those things that can really create that adaptive adaptive education for people. We briefly touched on the ethics uh, earlier, so you know, bringing diverse teams so that it's you know, whatever we are building is much more um, robust and thought through from all angles. So uh, every organization's culture and values are different. So having spent years and years in the corporate world, so how do you see companies treat ethics? So I think you know, um, responsible innovation ethics is is one of those um, really important things. And you know, I think I touched on the design thinking, which is really around the reason to do something, not because you can. And, and I think these values are really important to bring that in. You know, to bring, bring the business case in and bring the reasons for doing things. But I think the second step is really having towards this digital responsibilities, having guardrails on how solutions are designed, trained, developed and monitored. So we actually have like an ether committee, that a working group across research, engineering and sales that makes recommendations based on all these challenges with that AI represents. And I can see um, these kind of committee, committee and, you know, forming in large organisations as well as we put more AI in because, you know, the, the, the six principles around fairness, reliability, safety, mm-hmm. privacy, security, inclusion, accountability and transparency, they're really important and they're really hard to monitor. So we're seeing lots of tools like automatic detection of bias, which makes it amazing. Um, and then... Um, providing transparency into the prediction of AI models, Um, lots of encryption technologies. And, you know, I love that you brought up blockchain, but I think blockchain, once we unshackle it from Bitcoin and cryptocurrency and people start to see the power of blockchain to increase privacy and security, then I think that is also going to be an amazing way of being able to create these data collaboratives. So like I'm working on this really exciting project. It's one of my big ideas. And what's really exciting about my new job is I get to have big ideas and it's around a carbon finance collaborative where you can actually share data about what you're doing with carbon and your farming and different stuff. But it's shared in a blockchain, which makes it really um, secure and private at the same time. And so I think a lot of these evolving technologies are really going to make a big difference to being able to maintain this responsible AI because we need these new technologies to create the guardrails to make all of this stuff actually um, be implementable. And and explainable. (laughs) Explainable. Moving on, I think um, you could definitely inspire a lot of our listeners and they will definitely look at building their career now in AI. What is your one advice for people who are either from technology background or from not technology background if they want to build their career in AI? Well, I tell you how I've always learned really hard things. And I know it sounds really bizarre, but I love hackathons. 
And I find, like, I didn't know what blockchain was. I did this RegTech hackathon over the weekend. Mm -hmm. And I came home and I knew how it worked, right, because we'd had to, like, create a solution and then bring it together and all that kind of stuff. So if you can get yourself in a hackathon and you can be part of that one a year or two a year, that, that stuff just really blows your mind because, you know, you're there learning and really... I'm, I'm a real um, hands-on learner, so mm -hmm. that's really helped me. Um, and if you can't get to a hackathon, you know, there's meetups, there's, um, you know, there's a lot of LinkedIn learning that's all there for free. So, um, but, you know, it depends on what your style is. I mean, I love meetups because that's also where people tell stories about, you know, what they've learned and it's a great way to kind of network and meet other people. So they're my bits of advice. Go to hackathons, meetups and, and do lots of online learning. Or do podcasting like us and learn on the weekends. <laughs> <laughs> but it's true, Madhu. I remember yeah. when I was doing Bite Into It, like I would learn so much from yeah. people. It was, and it was so buzzy and exciting because, like, you know, you're talking to experts, so you're learning so much. So, yeah, yeah. listen to podcasts, you're right. <laughs> and, and we all have youngsters at home. You know, how, what advice would you tell them? Yes, you've got professionals at one place and you've got children who are aspiring uh, to become something that we don't know yet. You know, technology would evolve and they don't even start to use what is currently in the market. What advices would you give them? Well, um, I think for kids, it can sometimes start with gaming. And um, I think gaming is very empowering because it kind of gives you that ability to enter worlds and have your imagination sparked and, um, and you know, be part of that digital kind of immersion. Um, so, you know, there's so many different types of, of gaming consoles out there and game things like that. So I would get into that. But also, you know, I really try to find out what what sparks their imagination, what makes it exciting for them, um, I think is really important. But I, I don't think, I, I really feel so, sorry for um, for people that, you know, are like, no screen time, <laughs> you know, screen time is really bad. I'm like, well, going to be the rest of their lives so I don't know if you can but I do understand that you know there is a level of addiction associated um, particularly with a lot of the social aspects so I think um, really understanding social media because it can be it's a whole new world of bullying out there around that and, and I think being able to have a discussion with young ones about that is really important um, and if you're not on social media or you've never used Snapchat, I think it's sometimes it's important that you know what they do yeah. as well. So you can't just be, I'm going to ignore that because I'm a parent and I don't care. Um, it's kind of like you've got to enter their world as well and, um, and be able to be part of it. I still remember my grandparents blended well with my uh, technology and exposure. So I think that same thing is what we need to follow for our children and grandchildren. Yeah, absolutely. Well, it's been a complete pleasure. Um, I'm going to tell you, I think your Inspiring Ideas podcast is awesome. Uh, I think it's wonderful that, you know, you're tapping into the people that you know and connecting us. I loved my interview with Fabio. Thank you. Um, and, uh, yeah, I just think, you know, the next 50 years is just going to be incredibly exciting. Um, 
well i think uh, i think the next question is definitely about the future okay and the future of ai and uh, which is about uh, i remember when i was growing up in 80s and 90s and we have seen all those science fiction movies you know terminators and all that and you used to get scared of ai you know what how the world is going to be uh, what is your view of the future especially for our children and our grandchildren yes i'm not a big fan of the dystopia that um that hollywood decides to share with us but then when you think about it you know like making movies always has a horror category and always has a rom-com category and and those kind of stuff so um i'm kind of becoming a lot less anti dystopia movies because i think they're kind of important but i think the future for us and our grandchildren will probably be one where we've like really started to tap in to using technology to um help us with climate change health energy those kind of things um and really moving on from that um industrial age where it was all about how much can we pull out of the ground and how much can we you know completely ruin our climate um and like really thinking about that and i think having the data to think about it is going to make a really big difference um like it was really funny my my daughter as i was telling you studies environmental science and uh, microsoft's working on this planetary computer so we have a chief um environmental officer and his vision is to put every single every single plant and tree and lake um into Uh, you know connect it to the internet and and connect it and get sensor data from it and be able to look after it and um it kind of brings me back to when you were asking me about my past and when i went and worked for the singaporeans and like they have every single tree in singapore has got an iot sensor and it's managed that way and i'm imagining you know singapore is a great example of um the kind of ways that our world is going to work um but i also think it's also got a lot of limitations so being able to imagine you know this kind of world that is connected and ai enabled and you know we're able to predict outcomes and you know we can um really predict the way a fire is going to yeah. burn in area or you know the way a disease like imagine if we were having covid maybe 10 years time i actually do think we'd be much better at technology yeah and and we would have overcome a lot more of our fears around you know well, don't track me don't trace me um and like you know because it would mean that maybe we wouldn't be in lockdown if we could actually do that kind of stuff so i think there's a, a this amazing journey that we're going to go on around this whole tech enlightenment where we're going to realize that technology you know is going to become part of our lives and it's not just you know with the you know the geeks do it's actually really really important so um so i'm seeing that kind of revolution occurring around the tech enlightenment of of our future i'm imagining you know if, if a baby gets born and how it's going to live for the next 70 80 years it's actually written by technology Ooh. think about it <laughs> and then the baby goes on to dismantle every single one of them and say nah i'm not going to go where that i'm going to choose my own perspective to it i'm looking forward to uh, that particular madhu you're talking about my one of my favorite movies it's called minority report it's an old movie mm-hmm. but like it's something had a similar theme to it it was very interesting yeah yeah yeah, yeah. um 
Yeah, I think it's, it's this whole idea of singularity and being pre-programmed and, um, yeah, I don't know. And I think as, as we get into nature more and we kind of understand DNA and we understand our environment, we haven't really had that happen to us before. Um, and, and I think that's going to make a big difference to this idea that, you know, everything's scientifically programmed. It's actually nature. Um, and, and I think that this idea, Madhu, that, you know, like you're going to be born and, um, you know, your whole world's going to be programmed for you, it doesn't allow for all these changes that might be occurring or that influence that you might have from that person you meet um, that might influence you and change and a lot of those kind of things, it just doesn't, it doesn't gel yeah. in. And I think that bringing that idea of nature into AI and the environment and, and those kind of things is going to make a big difference to the way we think. And conscious of time, I just wanted to say a huge thank you. And uh, I'm assuming that the listeners can actually reach out to you via LinkedIn. Is there any other channel? I'm on LinkedIn, I'm on Instagram, I'm on Snapchat, I'm on Twitter. So there's plenty of ways you can find me. Um, but I, I, I do want to congratulate you guys. It's this, this, um, these podcasts are amazing. And I'm looking forward to listening to all of them. So um, thank you very much. Thanks for tuning in, my friends. We've got thousands of people listening to this podcast and wanted to thank you all for the love and encouragement so far. Some of you have reached out personally to us and thanked as well for producing great quality content. It would be awesome if you like and follow our LinkedIn page, Inspiring Ideas. And please don't forget to hit the subscribe button from where you are listening. We are across all the key podcast channels, Apple, Google, Spotify, etc. We will see you with another great episode next week. Thank you so much.